Welcome to the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast, the world's first podcast about medical laser therapy for healthcare providers. Each week, we discuss the latest research, interviews with experts, and how laser therapy can enhance your practice. Now, here is the founder of LCI and your host, Dr. Jason Roundtree. Thanks for joining me today on the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast. My name is Dr. Jason Roundtree, I'm the founder of LTI, and I'll be your host today. We're going to be talking about a study done back in 2012 with laser to look at blood flow. But I want to really highlight some of the things the researchers talked about in this study concerning laser types and the equipment the protocols and the settings and the importance of those. I've run into people many times that say, you know, does the power of the laser really matter? Does the technique matter? What about the way you use it? You know, um, unfortunately, there's just not a lot of training available out there for how to properly apply and use laser, which is the main thing that, of course, I founded LTI to do is to provide good, accurate training and protocols to start to standardize what laser therapy providers are doing so that you can get reproducible and predictable results from laser therapy. So this study is about increasing blood flow utilizing laser, but again, I'm going to be talking about some of the additional points they make. First, I want to talk to you about kind of laser mechanisms, which we've gone over multiple times on this podcast, but just to recap how laser works in the tissues. Then I want to talk to you about class 3 versus class 4 lasers, the differences and why they matter. And then after I go through that, then I'll talk you through the methods on this study, the conclusions they were able to make so that you can use this information going forward in your practice and also going forward in your decision making about what type of equipment to buy and what kind of training you should be looking for. So this study is titled Limb Blood Flow After Class 4 Laser Therapy, and this was published in the Journal of Athletic Training in 2012, and produced by a mixture of chiropractors and uh, PhD researchers, athletic trainers, and physical therapists as well. And uh, this was headquartered at the University of Florida. So they start off by talking about the ability of laser to produce arteriolar dilation and improved blood flow in the microvascular bed of both mesentery but also the soft tissues in general whether you have arterial occlusion that that kind of cuts off blood flow or swelling that limits blood flow but they say that laser therapy induced changes in blood flow and microcirculation promote healing by controlling ischemia hypoxia, and edema after injury, thereby limiting the zone of secondary tissue damage, and that increased circulation in and around the injury zone, not just on the injury, but also around the injury, creates a favorable environment for biological repair after musculoskeletal injury. Musculoskeletal injury, of course, I mean, sprain-strain injuries are a perfect example of this. When you have a sprain-strain injury, swelling is a major component of that, and minimizing swelling is very important. Why? Because the more swelling you have around the injury, the less blood flow actually gets into those tissues, and the more pain is generated, and then the slower this thing heals. That's why controlling swelling is such a big piece in the initial stages of managing a sprain-strain injury. You want to use ice, you want to elevate, you want to compress, and you want to rest that injured area. 
Now, the newest data shows that we should really only be icing in that first day, and we shouldn't continue icing past that for sprain strain injuries because it does reduce circulation, and that slows down the, the actual recovery. So once you've got the swelling controlled, then you want more circulation. That's exactly what we're talking about with this study is getting more blood flow to that injured area and around that injured area to maximize the healing capability of the body. It will reduce ischemia, it will reduce hypoxia, and it will reduce edema if you can get laser to and around that injured tissue pretty rapidly uh, after the injury has occurred. So if we know that the potential is there for laser to increase blood flow to an injured area and thereby improve healing and repair, then the next step is dose. Now, dose has been uh, somewhat of a controversial issue for the last couple of decades in laser. And the researchers in this paper say that achieving that therapeutic dose without understimulating or overstimulating the target tissues is often the most difficult component of clinical laser therapy practice, saying that if you have the wrong dose, you're not going to get the right level of effect. If your dose is too low or if it's too high, you either understimulate or overstimulate the area, and that can even slow down healing. If you've looked into the science behind light therapy and laser, you'll see a lot of people that talk about the Arndt-Schultz principle, which is that idea of overstimulation and understimulation both being bad and needing to be in the middle, in that sweet spot, in the middle of the, an appropriate dose to accelerate healing, but not overstimulate or understimulate the tissues. So these researchers go on to say that the idea of optimal therapeutic dosage was originally adapted from uh, toxicology studies of yeast culture to look at growth rates and so forth in, in single, a single cell layer. And ultimately, that's where some of the dose guidelines have come from, is looking at uh, tissue cultures and cell layers and then basing the, what you can see there, on, you know, putting that onto a live in vivo model. So in this paper, the researchers go on to say, studies suggest that dose dependency exists when treating humans, but except for superficial tissues and some dental applications, standard treatment doses for deep musculoskeletal tissues have yet to be firmly established because the tissues are all different. And when, you're, when you are working on a live patient, a live um, person with tissue volume and different tissue types, different skin colors that affect the way that laser is absorbed, uh, different muscle content, water content, fat content, depending on even the region of the body you're working on. Uh, even on the same patient, working on a knee is vastly different than working on the low back. The tissues are all different. The densities are different. The amount of scatter and absorption you have for, for light uh, is vastly different. So these authors go on to say that you have to really take into consideration even the three-dimensional irregular Gaussian distribution of scattered and absorbed laser in the different tissue types. And this study goes on to say that uh, several published reports have questioned the ability of low-power lasers to effectively transmit energy beyond the skin into deep musculoskeletal tissues. Now, if that is, you know, if the skin is your target, great. 
you can use low power level low level lasers to to get to that target tissue no problem no question there what these authors are calling into question is with a low power laser can you actually get a therapeutic dose into those deep tissues before i go any further let me talk to you a little bit about class 3 versus class 4 lasers because there is a lot of information and there is some misinformation that exists when it comes to therapeutic lasers and and their power levels in their class. So a class 3 or class 3B lasers can go from 5 to 500 milliwatts whereas class 4 lasers will uh, be any lasers that can go over 500 milliwatts. So that means that a 1 watt older model therapy laser is a class 4 laser and so is the laser that the Navy uses on its ships to shoot down drones at like 50 kilowatts. They're all in the same class. They're all class 4. So laser classes don't really give us a really clear idea on heat level or tissue destruction capability or tissue stimulation. It's just a way to indicate the level of power being above that half of watt. This study says that class 4 lasers can emit greater photonic energy in a shorter period of time than class 3B lasers without producing an appreciable rise in tissue temperature under normal treatment protocols. So if you've heard that class 4 lasers always damage tissue, if you've heard that class 4 lasers are surgical lasers, that simply is not true. If you have a therapy laser, it's designed to do laser therapy in that class 4 range, it is simply delivering more energy in a shorter period of time, but utilizing the same mechanisms of increasing blood flow and stimulating better, better cellular respiration so that you have improved tissue healing. The authors of the study go on to say that this higher power becomes important when treating injuries to deeper tissues such as ligaments, muscles, tendon, and cartilage. Now, the counterpoint to that is to say, well, the wavelength of the laser really matters, and not to really just get into the physics of how lasers work, but to some degree that is correct. The, the wavelength, the color of the light, is the biggest determining factor to how deep you can get the light to penetrate. The power is a much lower factor when you're comparing blue 445 nanometer light to say 800 nanometer infrared light. The infrared is always going to be able to penetrate tissue better. However, when you're comparing infrared, near-infrared light uh, on therapy lasers, the power does become the next factor to influence depth of penetration. The authors in this paper say that beam intensities greater than one watt greatly improve light transmission through soft tissues when compared with lower beam intensities of, say, half a watt. Therefore, class 4 lasers using beam intensities of greater than 1 watt may have an advantage over class 3 lasers in transmitting light to deeper tissues. What that means is the higher your light power is, the more photons you're putting out, the more it can get into deeper tissues. It's not an exact across the board percentage of light that gets to deeper tissues. You get more light in deeper if you start with higher power. There's actually been multiple studies that have shown that, whether it is transcranial or just simply getting through the skin barrier to get into those deeper tissues. Okay, hopefully I have not lost you yet. I, If you'd like some more information about class three versus class four and even LED, get a hold of me and I can get into more detail with you. 
there's absolutely value to class 3B lasers. There is absolutely value to LED light therapy um, and there's value to class four and, and each of them have different things they are better at. In a clinical setting, time is important and deep tissue, the, the capability of reaching deeper tissues is also really important and that is why many, many clinicians have moved to class four lasers. Okay, so enough of that. Let me talk to you about the actual study itself now. These authors applied laser, class four laser to the bicep and then measured blood flow in the distal forearm. Kind of an interesting way of doing it, um, but their hypothesis here was that by lasering the upper portion of the arm, they would actually see changes in blood flow, not where they were lasering, but distal to the place where they applied the laser. They utilized a sham treatment in addition to settings at one watt, six watts, and three watts. All on the 50% duty cycle, they utilized a K-laser, and they applied the laser for four minutes to the bicep, uh, taking measurements uh, throughout the treatment and then also five minutes after the treatment. And what they saw is that for the three watt dose, so four minutes of three watts peak power, they saw good increases in blood flow, both at minute four of the treatment and then up to two minutes after treatment that it continued to be improved blood flow to that distal forearm. They did not observe any changes in blood flow for the six watt or one watt settings and of course did not see any for the sham doses before, during, or after laser treatment either. So even though they were using the same equipment, the same time, and the same treatment location, just changing the power settings had a massive difference on improving blood flow down the arm. If they went too high, you didn't see any improved blood flow down into the rest of the limb. If you went too low, you didn't see any improved blood flow to the rest of the limb. You had to be in that sweet spot, again there, in the middle. You had to have the right dosing. So they conclude by saying that a properly designed laser treatment protocol with appropriate dosing guidelines is a viable therapy to increase limb blood flow. But what they didn't say is, the wrong treatment protocol or the wrong dosing will do you really no good. And that, I think, is really one of the big takeaways. Laser is a great modality for improving blood flow and for soft tissue healing. But more than that, you have to have the right equipment that can give you the right level of dosing. You can have the right settings. You need the right protocols. If you don't have all that correct, then... In clinical practice, you're just not going to see the results that you should. You're not going to be able to see the results that the research studies show if you're using a laser that's too weak or that is overpowered, if your settings aren't adapted to the effects you want to see in the tissue, if the protocols you're using have you treating in the wrong place or for the wrong amount of time, you're just not going to see those reproducible, predictable results. And when it comes to clinical practice, that's incredibly frustrating because what you do with one patient that works may not work with another patient. Why is that? Well, there's a lot to it, but this is a big piece of it. The dosage, the equipment, the protocols, the timing, all that has to be right. And that right there is why Laser Therapy Institute exists, is to provide protocols that give you these producible, reproducible, and predictable results in clinic. That means you need, the, you need custom protocols that give you the right 
response in the tissues. You need to have the education on how to pick the correct dose, the correct time, the correct power settings. Where do you even treat? For example, for carpal tunnel syndrome, where do you treat? You want to improve blood flow to that nerve? Obviously. Where do you treat to get that done? What are your power settings to get that done? Well, thankfully, we've been able to compile a lot of research and then hands-on clinical experience to give out guidelines and protocols to those that are out there in the field practicing every day to start getting these reproducible and predictable results in clinic. If we can help you get the right settings, protocols in place for your practice to see excellent results through laser therapy and therefore practice growth, let us know right away. Email me, info at lasertherapyinstitute.org. Also, if you want a copy of this paper, it's quite interesting to read through. It's only a few pages. Uh, you can shoot me an email there too as well, info at lasertherapyinstitute.org, and we'll get you a link to the paper. Uh, and we can also answer questions that you have about choosing the right equipment, uh, how to make sure that you're going down the right pathway with laser therapy in your practice so that you will be successful, so that you can help patients in your community and be known for being excellent at what you do, excellent with laser therapy. Thanks, and I hope to see you next week. Subscribe now to keep learning about the growing field of laser therapy. Check out our patient-focused podcast, Healing at the Speed of Light, a great resource for your patients. For massive practice growth and improved patient outcomes, become a certified Laser Therapy Institute clinic. Learn how at lasertherapyinstitute.org.